and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. All right. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to wrap up what I would call the the third warning within the book of Hebrews. And we're going to focus on verses 13 through 20. But I'm actually going to go back to chapter 5, verse 11, and read with you up through the verses that we're in, because I think the context is really, really helpful. Uh, Talking about this message, calling it the faith rest example. As Micah mentioned, Abraham is mentioned in this passage. And so if you wanted to go back to Genesis 12 through, well, halfway through the book, uh, and kind of look at the life of Abraham and see what God does there. There's some important stories, and I'll touch on them as we go, but if you know that story, kind of refresh yourself on the story of Abraham a little bit in your mind right now. Uh, The context of this letter, this epistle that was written to uh, Jewish Christians would have been before 70 AD, so this is before the fall of Jerusalem, and we know that during this time, when the 60s, uh, under the Emperor Nero, there was a lot of persecution of Christians in the Roman Empire, and so what they're dealing with is the cultural pull to go back to a more acceptable form of religion. Judaism was legal to practice in the Roman Empire. Christianity had become illegal. And so they're dealing with a lot of persecution. In fact, later on in the letter, we'll find that there were those people who were losing their jobs, losing their income, and suffering for the sake of the gospel because they were following Jesus. So what the writer does is he reminds them that Jesus is greater. He gives reminders and examples of how Jesus is greater. This is why you don't want to give in to the persecution because your loyalty remains with Christ. And that's actually kind of one of the big themes within the book of Hebrews is loyalty. And maybe the question to ask yourself this morning is, is where do your loyalties lie? If, if, if difficulty came and it cost you something to follow Jesus, would you remain loyal? Um, is, he, is he worthy to be followed even through difficulty? That's kind of the question that the reader of Hebrews was facing the letter to the Hebrews. And so there's five warnings. One is to not drift away from Christ. The second one is that God's word judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And the one we've been going through right now is that a wrong mind produces worthless wrong actions. In other words, if we have a mind that has not repented, that has not changed, then our actions will not have eternal value and they will be worthless actions. And so people can be saved. You can be a follower of Jesus Christ, but have a mind that is not being constantly renewed and change so that it follows the scriptures, and you can live as a follower of Jesus Christ here on planet Earth in a way that has no reward and is worthless in eternity. Okay, that's kind of what the warning is. Now, one of the things that I want you to think about with loyalty is loyalty really revolves around trust. And so if you trust God, you understand his person and his character, you understand that his purpose is to bless you, and you understand that his promises will come true, then you can look at him and you go, God is trustworthy. He's he's somebody that I can believe in. Now, I have two 10-year-old boys at our house, and we don't trust them totally, right? (laughs) Um, 
And so what that causes is because we're not 100% sure about the decisions that they're going to make, um, we live in a state where we're kind of like, you know, that's not really what I would call rest. Um, <laughs> because there's an issue of can I trust the decisions that they're going to make without looking into what they're doing. And what we know about God is we can trust his decisions, we can trust his person, we can trust his promises, and because of that, it puts us in a position where we can rest. You can say, I know who he is, I know what he's doing, and I know what he's going to do. And because of that, I can, I can be at ease with him, right? I can be at ease in life because of who he is. And because I have that sense of rest, I have freedom, right? I'm no longer shackled to sin, but instead I've been freed from sin and I live in this place where uh, I don't have to do what, what everybody else says. I have the freedom to follow Jesus Christ. And what that's going to cause is right action in me. But if I don't trust God and I'm not at rest, then I'm going to fall back into patterns of sin and wrong action. And that's really what the author is telling us is that we need to watch out for that pattern in our lives. And so he picks, we'll pick up in Hebrews 5, and what he's talking about here is he's stopping a conversation. He's been talking about how Jesus has fulfilled the priestly and kingly line of Melchizedek, a character from the Old Testament who is the king of righteousness and the king of peace and a priest of the Most High God, and how Jesus is fulfilling that role, and he's saying, we have a great deal to say about this, what I just said about Jesus and Melchizedek, and it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy or numb to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. And so what he's really saying to us here is get out of spiritual neutral. Get it in gear. Right? Don't sit still in your faith. Move. Right? Get it in gear and let's go. Go, let's grow. Let's be taking in the things that we, we really need to be taking in. Let's take in solid food. And then once you are able to take in solid food and the, the meat of the word, then share that with other people. Be good at being able to understand what's right and what's wrong. Be able to walk into a person's life and recognize sin patterns. Be able to recognize them in your own life and then change them through the word of God and the spirit of God. Be able to distinguish between good and evil. Have uh, Grow up. Be mature. Right? Get it, get it in gear. It's kind of what he's saying here. And then he says, therefore, let us leave elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. So he says, stop eating baby food and grow up right? At some point in time, yes, the ABCs are wonderful, but if you need to sing them every time, you, you know, we're in trouble. Um, and so let, let's grow up. Let's, let's, let's apply what you know. Um, stop eating baby food and grow up. And so he's kind of giving this, this really strong push. And then he makes the push even stronger in verse four. He says, for it's impossible to renew to repentance. And that word repentance is a change of mind. Those who were once enlightened, who tasted the heavenly gift, who shared the Holy Spirit, who tasted God's good word and the powers of the coming age, Christ's return, and who have fallen away. Uh, this is because to their own harm, they are re-crucifying the Son of God and holding him up to contempt. And so that word repentance is a change of mind. And so what he's saying here is you cannot claim a right biblical mind while consistently exercising wrong practices that defame the name of Jesus. 
Don't claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and totally sold out to him when your practices have not fallen in line with his word, right? If your mind is wrong, you will live wrong. And if you're doing that, uh, then it's spiritual insanity, right? Uh, you're, you're, you're claiming to be something and you're not it. You're, you're a loon, right? And so he says you need to change your mind. You need to get your mind right so that your practices will follow. And then he goes on in verse 7. He says, For the ground that drinks the rain that often falls on it and produces vegetation useful for, useful to those for whom it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is worthless and about to be cursed, and it will be burned. What he's saying here is that you can throw away your reward um, or live for what matters. Uh, stop throwing away your reward and live for what matters. And there's a couple passages that are very helpful in understanding this. One is John chapter 15. And in John chapter 15, Jesus is talking about abiding and how he is the vine and we are the branches and the father is the vine dresser. And he tells us that what the father does is he clips off branches that are not producing. And so this is us. Uh, the things in our life, the father will come along and put us in circumstances where he's going to clip off the parts of our life that are useless for eternity. And then he he tells us that those things, what does Jesus say? Those branches that are clipped off are only good for the fire. They're going to be consumed. They're going to be burned up. They don't have any eternal value. They're going to go away. The other passage is in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is talking to Christians, and he tells Christians that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, assuming that you have believed in the name of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross for your sins, and he was raised from the dead three days later, and in him you have forgiveness of sins and new life, you're a Christian, and you're following Jesus as your Lord, that you and I as Christians, we can live our lives in a way that ignores what is eternally important, and we can build our lives on things that are temporal. He says you can build your life with wood, hair, straw. The foundation that you build upon is Jesus Christ, but you can build on it with wood, hair, straw, or gold, silver, and imperishable metals. And you can choose what you want to do with your life. And if you build with temporal things, that which is perishable, he says, at the judgment seat of Christ, those things will be burned up and have no eternal reward. And so that's what he's talking about here. He's talking to you and me as Christians and followers of Jesus Christ, saying, if you want to live in a way that ignores God and waste your life and the reward that is coming to you, you can do that. But he says, even though we're speaking to you in this way, dearly loved friends, in your case, we are confident of these things that are better and pertain to salvation. For God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and love you demonstrated for his name by serving the saints and by continuing to serve them. He says, I know that I'm coming at you with kind of a harsh voice here, but I'm confident that you won't do this. I'm confident that you won't waste your life that you'll live your life for things that are eternal rather than things that are temporal. You'll build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, not with bickering about secondary theology and not with fighting with each other within the church, but you're gonna go and you're gonna share my name to the nations so that the church of God can grow. Uh, his purpose is to bless us and then we would bless others. He says, I know you're not gonna waste your life on this other stuff. You're gonna do what matters. I believe it. You can do this, God is faithful. You can do this. I believe in you. 
And so we desire each of you now to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope until the end, so that you won't become lazy, but will be imitators of those who inherit the promises through faith and perseverance. And so he says, I believe in you. You're going to step up. You're going to rest in the finished work of Jesus. And then you're going to take right action for his glory. You guys have got this. You're going to demonstrate faith and perseverance. You're not going to fall into uh, sliding back into your old ways of living that are more comfortable within your culture, but you're going to remain steadfast and hold on to Jesus. I believe in you. And then he tells us why we should be loyal to God. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. And that's in Genesis chapter 22. I swear by myself. I've sworn by myself. I've sworn. Uh, I will indeed bless you and I will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, including the sacrifice of Isaac, Abraham obtained the promise. Now, Abraham and Sarah are a really interesting story. At about 75 years old, um, God gives him a promise. He's drawn him out of the land of his fathers. He's taken him to a new place. He's blessed him. He's made him rich. Uh, Some commentators think that Abraham was probably one of the richest people on the planet at that point in time, certainly in the area. Uh, God God has really blessed Abraham. And then he tells him that he's going to do three things for him. He he makes a promise in Genesis chapter 15 that he's going to give him land. And the land of Canaan is going to become his land and and the inheritance of his children. He's going to give him seed that he's going to have descendants as many as the stars and that through him all the world will be blessed. Land, seed, and blessing. He promises these three things to Abraham. He's 75 years old. Him and Sarah have never been able to conceive a child, and so the seed one is pretty confusing. How am I going to have this many children? And so God promises him this, and then 25 years later, at 100 years old, God shows up and he says, now is the time. Even though you've tried to take this into your own hands, and you brought Hagar into the picture, and Ishmael has been born, and you tried to make the promises happen through your own abilities rather than trusting in the timing of God, now is the time. I'm going to fulfill my promise to you, and you're going to have a son. You're going to name him Isaac, which means she laughs, right? We laughed because the idea of a 100-year-old woman is ridiculous. But God is going to do this. And so they have the child. Isaac is born. And then some commentators say that Isaac was either four or five years old. Many think that he was in his 30s when God told him, take Isaac and go and sacrifice him. And so he's waiting patiently, including the sacrifice of Isaac, though Isaac is not sacrificed. God teaches the Jewish people that human sacrifice has nothing to do with worshiping him. Culturally, it would have been a very normal thing to do, to take someone and sacrifice them to a God. God tells them, no, you're not going to worship me like the culture around you does. You were ready to, but I'm teaching you this is not a part of worshiping me. Here's a ram in your place so that not a human would take the consequences, but a substitute would. Ultimately, a human would, the Lamb of God. And so he goes through all of that. Now, it says that Abraham obtained the promise, and that is a really interesting word. When we talk about sin, we talk about missing the mark. This word obtain means to hit the mark. And so he says, if you want to hit the mark, have faith, persevere, and obtain the promises. Don't give up. Remember God is good. His, his person his, is one that can be trusted. He swore by himself because there was no one greater to swear upon. He, he makes a promise based upon his own character. He says, based upon who I am, this is going to happen. 
You can trust in his person. His purpose, we see here, is that he will greatly multiply us. That's God's purpose in your life, that he would bless you and he would multiply you and that he would take the blessings that he gives you and you would use them to bless the world around you. But that's a pretty interesting thing to chew on. If sinning is to miss the mark, to hit the mark is to obtain the promises of God. To say, I trust you. And if it takes 25 years, I'm going to remain loyal to you. And the other thing that's really interesting is during that 25-year period, Abraham messed up over and over again. God didn't quit on him. Why? Because he didn't swear by Abraham's ability and Abraham's character. He swore by his own ability and character. And so the promises of God are secure, not because of what we do, but because of who he is. And so Abraham provides this example for us to follow in believing God. He goes on, he says, for people swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. What he's saying here is that when people made an agreement, uh, there would have been a, a dispute about land, about possessions, about the loss of land or possessions, um, right? There's no auto insurance back then, and so if you hit somebody, it's your problem to deal with, and so there's a dispute, there's a debt that has to be paid because of the damage that's been done, and so they would come together and they would say, okay, let's end the dispute, and here's how we're going to end it. We'll make an oath to one another. You'll do your end of the covenant. I'll do my end of the covenant, and between the two of us, we'll will remember this dispute no more. And that's what God does for us. He comes and he swears by himself that he is ending the dispute between us. Ultimately through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That was the public oath that God made to all of the world that Jesus was portrayed in time and history as a human being who died on our behalf in front of hundreds of eyewitnesses. It's well documented within history. He rose again from the dead for hundreds of eyewitnesses. And so within time and space, God publicly tells us that the, the, the dispute between us and him is over because the debt has been paid, not by us, but by him, the dispute's over. He says, because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. That word seize is the same word used in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, where we're told to hold fast to our confession, to, to grab onto God right now and remain loyal to him. Why? Why would we remain loyal to God? Well, because his person is good, his purpose is good, and the promises that he has in front of us are good. Why would I, why would I want to go anywhere else? And so God binds himself to his word by his eternal person. He's saying, hold on to him. He's really the only one that you can count on. Um, even, even the people that you know in, in this life and trust really, really well, the only reason that you can truly trust them is because God is in them. The only reason you could really trust me is because I'm following God. If I, if I stop following God, I could break the promise. I, I could mess up. And so the only reason that, that you could even trust another human being is because God is in them. But the other thing we see here is the immutability of God. 
The nature of God does not change, and most relevant in this passage are two things. One, the irrevocable nature of his purpose and his word, and the, the second one is the oaths that he has made and declared publicly. God is never going to deviate from that. Um, it's just not who he is. He, he showed up in human history and he told us in very clear ways through his word and ultimately through the person of Jesus that he loves us, that he cares about us, that, that his purpose is to bless us, that his purpose is to, to save us. Jesus came to seek and save the lost and then on top of that he came to give us new life so that we could be new creations who would be blessed by the very presence of God within us and then share God God's presence with other people, right? His purposes are good, and he's never going to deviate from those things. Uh, God's unchangeableness, it encourages the church to hold firm, have confidence in his promises, and live in a way that seizes the blessing of knowing God and living according to his promises. Like Abraham, we stake our lives on, uh, on God who is uh, who God is and what he has promised. Uh, he's a promise-keeping God and worthy of, of our trust. And again, here comes this trust thing. If I trust his person, I know his character, and I believe his purpose is to bless me, and I believe his promises will come true, I can rest in who he is and what he's doing and what he's going to do. Then I have freedom. And as the book of Galatians make very, makes very clear, we should use our freedom not as an opportunity for sin, but as an opportunity, a launching pad for righteousness, right action that honors God and blesses people. That's what he's calling us to. And so we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, our thoughts, our emotions and choices, firm, a certain truth, and secure, a steadfast companion that enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Um, our soul is the way that we think, what's going through your head right now, what's going through your head when you lay down at night, uh, what you're processing, the emotions that you're feeling, and the decisions that you make based upon how you process your thoughts and your emotions. And what this teaches us is that we need truth. Everyone needs truth. And our culture is doing this thing where you do your truth, I'll do my truth. I, I'm not even remotely interested in that. I want actual truth. I want the real thing. And what we know from the scriptures is that Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one came to the Father through him, that he is the light of life, and that all who do come to him, he gives the right to be children of God. That's the truth. And everything else that is within his word is dependable. Jesus is dependable. Life is uncertain, but Jesus is dependable. We need that truth. You need that truth. Everybody's looking for it. And what Jesus came and told us in no uncertain terms is you can go nowhere else but to him to find it. And then the other thing that he is is he's a steadfast compassion, uh, companion. And we need this when we're processing our emotions, don't we? When you're hurt, when you're lonely, when you're sad, when you're angry, when you're, when you're, when you're high on life and everything's great, you need a steadfast companion. You need someone there beside you. You need someone within you, as the Holy Spirit is, to remind you of what God's word says and keep you firm and, and allow you not to be rocked all over the place by the waves of life, but to give the waves of life purpose. And so that's what Christ does for us. And what I might ask you is who is the anchor of your soul? Or what is the anchor of your soul? When you're processing something, where do you go for truth? 
when you're having that big emotional moment and you're overwhelmed, what do you do? Who do you talk to? What book do you read? And when you're making your decisions, are they snap ones or do you do them with God? Because if you have that trust in him, you'll rest in him, he'll give you freedom and he'll lead you to right action. But I want to answer this question in more detail. Why do we go through the waves of life? And I want to show you two passages. The first one is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 11. And it says that this is why we go through difficulty. He says, now we have this treasure in clay jars so that the extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry, this is why, this is why you, Christian, go through difficulties. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may, de- may be displayed in our body. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life may also be displayed in our mortal, mortal flesh. So then death is at work in us, but life in you. He says, do you know why? You're being persecuted. Do you know why your body is being destroyed? Do you know why you feel crushed? Do you know why you feel afflicted? Well, here's why. Because there is an extraordinary power inside of us. It's a, it's a power beyond all others. That's actually what the Greek word means. A throwing beyond all others. Somebody that can do what nobody else can do. And that power is within us. And when we go through difficulty, the point is so that we will trust God and display his life will be displayed through us. And so why, why the difficult season? Why the struggle? Why the sickness? Why the unfair treatment? Because without difficulty, there's no display. And so God allows us to go through these difficult things and he goes through them with us so that his purposes of blessing other people will be made evident through us. But there's one other thing. In Romans chapter five, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained, there's that word, access through him by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our afflictions because we know what affliction produces. It produces endurance, and endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. And this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us that we go through difficulty so that the life of Jesus will be made evident through us to the world around us. Romans chapter 5 tells us that the difficult waves of life, what they do is they transform us. God takes those difficult situations and he grows us. He builds our character into his own. And he gives us endurance so that we'll push forward the next time. So that we won't lose hope, so that we won't give up. Because the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us, he's going to encourage our hearts and he's going to move us forward. 
And more than that, we see here that Jesus has entered into this, the, 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 the inner sanctuary. Jesus has entered there on behalf as a forerunner because he has become a high priest according to the order of forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And so here's where the Jewish sacrificial system comes in. And once a year on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, the high priest, would go in annually and he would offer a sacrifice after he had been cleansed. He would go in and he would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the people so that they could be atoned, so that they could be one with God. There was an understanding that sin had broken relationship uh, through the sacrificial system. There was an understanding that that relationship was restored through the sacrifice and loss of life of another. What Christ has done for us is he has entered into that and has become the anchor of our soul within the inner sanctuary forever, right? Here's somebody going in year after year after year. Oh, we got to deal with sin again. We got to deal with sin again. We got to deal with sin again. We feel far from God. We better do something to feel close to him again. Uh, thank, thankfully, he's given us a sacrificial system. What we do now is we say we are always anchored in the inner sanctuary because Christ has taken us there. No matter what you're going through in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, you are near to God. He has brought you near. That, that is a part of who you are. You have close proximity and everlasting access to the God of the universe because Jesus Christ has anchored himself in the inner sanctuary so that you can love God, so that you can be cared for by God, so that he can bless you, so that he can give your trials purpose, so that he can give your life meaning, so that your eternity has something uh, that matters. I was thinking about it, and uh, you, know, you turn 40, you start thinking about stuff. Uh, and uh, what, there's 365 days in a year. Every decade, I get 3,650 days. I got maybe four decades left. I don't know. Maybe I'll make it five. The genetics, spec it's, it's maybe not. Um, but what am I doing with these days? Or you look, at a, you look at a loved one and you go, my mom's in her 70s. How many days do I have left with her? Um, my, you, know, you just start looking at it and you go, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? And I think the real strong call here is to, to look at Christ and see how he's gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us. In a spiritual sense, we're, we're seated with him now. I, I see my days that are left here on this planet in light of what he has for me in the future. And so if I lose something here, it really doesn't matter because what's ahead of me is so much better. And why would I spend what I have now on what burns up? Wouldn't it make more sense to use it for wouldn't it make more sense to be loyal to him? He's, he's disarmed spiritual forces that would enslave us. Do you understand that? That Jesus Christ has taken away the weapons that the devil and his, his forces had against you. He's disarmed them as far as you're concerned if you're in Christ. They do not own you. They cannot have you. You belong to him. You can give yourself over like a fool. But for no good reason, because they're disarmed. It'd be like somebody robbing you with a candy bar, right? That's what we do to ourselves spiritually. We let the devil rob us with a candy bar. 
He's disarmed. It says that he has publicly disgraced and triumphed over them in Colossians chapter 2. He is our trusted source for the true reality of all things. He's our ever-present faithful Lord and friend. We rest in the finished work of Jesus and live for the purpose of bringing God glory. Do you know who Jesus is? Is his character trustworthy? Do you know what Jesus wants to do for you? Is his purpose good? Do you know the promises that God has laid up for you in the life to come and the promises that are true right now? Sounds like you could be at rest. It sounds like you could have freedom. It sounds like you could live like Jesus. One commentator says if you look at the Gospels, Jesus basically played his way through life. He just enjoyed his days. And the reason he enjoyed his days is because he knew his father. Why do you think he went away and talked to God all by himself? Why do you think he went away and spent time with the father? He, he knew his father. And then from that place of rest and freedom, he didn't really worry about what the religious leaders had to say about how he should or shouldn't practice religion, how he should or shouldn't try and approach his father. He knew his father. He wasn't caught up with that stuff. He wasn't worried about man-made rules because he had freedom with his father. And from that freedom, Jesus took right action over and over and over again. He brought healing. He brought justice. Ultimately, through the gift of his own blood, he brought salvation. He justified us and made us right and forgave us of our wrongs. He rose from the dead to give us freedom and new life. Do you know who this person is? He is the God of the universe made evident to us in Jesus Christ and has saved us. Now, if his character is good and trustworthy and his purposes are best for us and his promises are going to come true, why would you be loyal to anyone else? Why would you give your life to anything else? And ultimately, that's the question of the book of Hebrews. Why would you do that? Look at how good he is. Let me pray with you. Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you that you are trustworthy. That your character is always good. That your promise is based upon not, a, not an oath uh, of what I can do, but, a, but an oath of who you are and what you can do. That those things will come true. God, help me to rest in, in, in your character. Help me to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, not trying to earn my salvation, but enjoying what you've purchased for me. And God, give me freedom from the, the laws and rules of man that bring no life. I don't want to fall into what's culturally popular or religious. God, I, I want to have freedom knowing you. And then from that freedom, God, may I never use it as a springboard for sin, but may I always use it as a launch pad for righteousness to do what is good and best. I pray that your spirit would indwell me and cause me to speak your words, to think your thoughts, uh, for my hands to take the actions that you would take. 
God, if you bring a season of difficulty into my life, I, I pray that I will see it as an opportunity to grow, to be transformed, to build proven character, to have endurance and perseverance uh, in measures that I wouldn't have without it. I thank you that you're with me in that difficult season. I, I pray that if I face a difficult season, God, that you will use it, that you will use me to make your life real to other people. And God, I pray that we as Christians would not cower in fear, but live in boldness in a freedom that you have purchased for us and for the glory of your name. May we remain loyal to you. And Father, I pray this morning, if there's someone here this morning that wants to give their loyalty to you, that they would do that right now. That right now they would choose, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord. And I give you my loyalty because you love me, because you gave your life up for me, because you saved me from my sins, because you rose from the dead to give me new life. God, I pray that someone here right now just chose to give their loyalty to you and that they would follow you as Lord and then share that with someone that they're with this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.